podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Dat Coombe Show. Good to have you with us, gang. Week five of the NFL coming into view. NFL London coming into view as well. Hope to see some of you down there this Sunday for Falcons Jets. We'll talk about that, but there are plenty of other big games to be getting into as well. So Ollie Connolly makes a welcome return to the show. The brilliant X's and O's guy, the read optional is where you can find him. We'll be talking about that on the show. The big game of the weekend, the Bills Chiefs will unsurprisingly be front and center. We'll talk charges as well. They're taking on the Browns. Another big matchup. The Jason Garrett Revenge Bowl. Dallas, New York Giants. Just how good is this Cowboys side? All of these questions and more will pose to Ollie. So let's get the week five preview show rolling. The brilliant Ollie Connolly from the Reed Optional. Welcome back to the show. Oh, how's life? It's good. Thanks for having me. First things first, because we're going to get into deep diving into some games and you're brilliant on the X's and O's. So I'm really looking forward to picking your brains on that. Have some news as well. We'll lead off with. But first things first, for our, for our listeners benefit, tell us about the read optional because it is rolling. It's absolutely thoroughly 100% endorsed by me because every time it drops into my inbox, it is a must read 10, 15 minutes. It's serious stuff. Sell it to, to our listeners. Why should they be getting on board? Yeah, I'd call it accessibly nerdy. So it's it's almost <laughs> like it, it's bringing you X's and O's schematic or just trying to be in, in some way informed stuff, but in a way that it's not just bludgeoning you over the head with coach speak necessarily. Nice. Um, which a lot of X's and O's stuff, as you're aware, divulges into. I know more than you because I can use more of the lingo than you. It's funny because particularly on the defensive <laughs> so side of the ball, there's yeah. about seven defensive languages and not one of them correlates to the other. So people will often flip between this one of the seven when they actually have nothing to do. They're all independent of one another. Um, so the idea is to just try and inform people in their inbox, no more scrolling, no more doom scrolling, no more having to go, well, I like this writer on this site. Let me see if he's written today. It just arrives in your inbox I mean, I love you that, commute, but, yeah. whenever you want. Well, not whenever you want, when I want, essentially. Um, and then it'll just arrive directly to you. So how do our listeners get to it? How do they subscribe, get on board with that? Yeah, uh, readoptional.substack.com. Go on there. Um, it's one free one a week, which could be a podcast. It could be a newsletter, as you mentioned, um, or you can sign up for three a week. Um, and again, that could be a mixture of two podcasts, one column, three columns, uh, a mailbag, um, or just anything that I think will help that week inform me on the game. So X's and O's pick and mix. I, lo- I love it. Uh, brilliant stuff. Get involved with that. Um, as I say, I thoroughly recommend. Right. Some news. Firstly, Stefan Gilmore. I mean, that all went very, very quickly. So social media going into predictable meltdown when it was announced that he was going to be leaving, uh, leaving the Patriots. Then, of course, everyone was speculating where he was going to go. Uh, m- quite mischievous post from us suggesting the Bucks, even though we knew there's absolutely zero chance of that in terms of cap space or anything else. The Panthers beating the chasing pack to get him. Is this a little bit like given the Panthers best defense in the league going into the Dallas game, get absolutely shellacked by the Cowboys. Is it a little, is this a comfort buy? <laughs> they, yeah, I, they feel sorry for themselves. I think this is one of the most interesting moves you could make. And I'm sorry with the first topic to go too nerdy and too in the weeds, but let's do it. They, the, the Panthers are doing something really interesting. I remember last time I came and I told you, they just brought everything from college to the NFL and we're like, right. let's try and be two years ahead of that evolutionary cycle. And as you've seen, it's kind of working. 
Um, what where the league is instantly in two years they went from everyone plays man coverage to now we all spot drop. These receivers are too good. Everyone's in tight split. They're all doing the McVeigh Shanahan thing. We just can't keep up with these guys. They're either crossing their routes or they're doing something that we can just not play man coverage anymore. So everyone plays spot drop zone, which means a guy like Stefan Gilmore, who was the best player in the league, the most valuable defensive mm. player in the league two years ago, his value is now what stripped by two thirds. Pick, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the Panthers, I think, are looking at it and saying, well, what we can do, if you've watched what they've done up front, which is they play nine billion different fronts, right? And they just throw guys all over the place and different body types every down. I think they want to do the same thing on the back end, which is say, well, if he's great at that, what there's a coverage that you run called lock coverage, which is a combination where one side of the field is man coverage, the other side is zone, right? If you play a great receiver, Stefan Diggs, let's just put our best guy on him and then we can do all the other stuff we do on the other side of the field. I think what they're deciding is, well, let's just run that stuff every other down and we're a spot drop team. But now a quarterback has to think, well, is it man or is it zone? Mm. Dak Prescott shredded them. They had to play in zone the whole game. It was effortless for him. Now, if you have to at least think and pause and say, well, maybe they're in man or maybe they're locking one side of the field and it's a combination coverage and that guy's in man, but that guy's in zone. That's really complex. And you only get three seconds if you're lucky. So even if you add half a second to that, just by Stefan Gilmore's mere presence, mm. I think that's the gamble there that he allows them to be so versatile on the back end within the stuff they already run. Everyone can still do the same thing. You know, every single week, it's like, well, we still run what we run, but mm. Stefan's just going to take that guy wherever he goes all over the field. Fascinating. I, looking from the Pats perspective, I wonder if it, it look, it's textbook Belichick, right? Um, uh, but if thinking back, we were talking about this on the show fairly recently, the Lawyer Malloy release early on in Belichick's reign, although by that stage, they'd won a Super Bowl. So we had this culture of winning already, uh, established, and this is a you know, a different situation for for the Patriots right now. Gilmore, a locker room heavyweight presence. I know the injury. I understand the logic of why the, the the Patriots have done this, but I wonder how it will play out in that particular locker room, and if that will turn out to be a mistake given where the Patriots are at right now. It just doesn't make much sense in where they're at. Kind of speaking of evolutionary cycles, where they're at, which is kind of like. Well, we're going with the young guy and I'm building it so that maybe in three years I hand it to Josh McDaniels. Is that the long-term play? But then also we're going to spend more money in free agency than everyone. Mm. Claim that's a market inefficiency, but all these guys are 26, 27, 28, 30. So we kind of need to win now. You know, mm. we're hoping that by doing this, Mac Jones will be really good in year two, year three. And maybe I get one final run before I hand it off. Well, why would you go and give Hunter Henry all that money, Johnny Smith all that money? They're not playing them that much, which mm. is really wild and not pay that guy. Mm. And I fully get that what he's trying to do is the same old, same old stuff of, well, if I pay him for one good year, well, I know he had two, three great years, but really he wants paying for the one unbelievable year set up for the rest of his life. The next time that happens, I'm going to have to pay everyone else. That, that's kind of the thing, but it's like, well, you already did pay everyone else. All the mm. new guys in the locker room, there's like 17 new players there. It's um, like the tail end of Wenger's Arsenal raid. It just every principles he's stuck to. Just absolutely, and he's trying to stave off the Özil deal, right? He's like, well, if I give <laughs> if I give Mesut one, then you know, Aubameyang's going to come in the next week and ask for a deal. I don't want to do that, but it's like, yeah, but this guy's still at the peak of his powers, essentially, mm. and they are the only team who is still running that traditional press man coverage at the kind of seventy percent clip that the league used mm. to run. Um, he, that's why the market was so suppressed that no one is running stuff to the degree they were even two years ago that would utilize him so well, except for the team that decided, yeah, let's give him up then. Mm. I just, I find it quite baffling. Honestly, for the money, would it not just be best to just 
sit him down for the season and just absorb that and not let someone else. I know they sent him out of conference, but just for the sixth round pick, mm. may as well just kept him hanging around and let well, him that, walk and take the comp pick. If there's someone's going to wheel uh, value from a sixth round pick, it's Ben Shakespeare's face. So uh, <laughs> maybe they will have the last half here. Uh, the Bears have named Justin Fields as their permanent starter. One of the more curious narratives of the season so far, and not least because uh, Matt Nagy has managed to make the right decision, yet still... Uh, come under fire and get even more more criticism uh, in doing so as well. It was obviously a, a significant uh, uplift last week for the Bears offensively and, and the tape and, and what we saw from Fields was certainly enough for, uh, for the Bears to make this decision, not capitulating necessarily under undue pressure from around them. What did you make week on week of the offensive game plan for the Bears last week compared to the first week where it looked absolutely baffling as though they'd just been given Justin Fields having never seen him before and never seen any tape on him before and said, just try and make something work with this guy over the next four quarters. It's really strange because at that criticism of the game plan, I find an odd one because they run everything that everyone else runs. They're essentially running a knockoff version of the Kyle Shanahan offense. They just don't happen to have Kyle Shanahan being the guy caught in the plays. I think I'm going on, you know, I almost, I almost sound, um, I, I get myself in trouble with this. I, I'm, it's almost seven years now of just saying, this Matt Nagy guy is not good at this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to explain it at this point. He runs the same stuff everyone runs. That's totally fine. He is the worst sequencer of plays I think the league has right now. Every single thing he calls is independent of the other thing, which is just <laughs> not the way the sport works anymore. The right. entire sport now is layering. You know, this look is setting up something for later on. And even if you think you've guessed what we're running, it's because we're going to counter off that same action, the same pre-snap look, the same motion, the same shift, the same whatever. None of that exists in Matt Nagy's world. It's this play at this time, and it's just vibes. We're just going with what we're running right now. Um, and He's like the old school scout that doesn't want to pay any attention to <laughs> analytics or data. and just I just like the look of him. But what, where that is... Where that kind of conflicts is when Fields first came in, when Dalton got injured, they, there's this whole thing. He's running the Dalton offense. Uh, no such thing has ever existed. Has anyone built an offense saying we're running an Andy Dalton offense? That's just not a thing that <laughs> happens in life. Um, they, they ran a whole bunch of what would be staple spread option college football stuff for Justin mm. Fields that first week. Then they abandoned it the second week. Then they come back to it the third week. Um, I think the most troubling thing from that press conference is when Nagy said, I feel good because I, I can now be more involved in all three facets of the game. And I'd be looking around as the best one, like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The conference. yeah. Yeah. Go away from fields. Do not involve yourself in anything else in this organization. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I think they'll be fine. I thought they were, that, that first spell when he came in, when Dalton got injured, they balanced stuff really well. The designs were fine. Fields played out of his mind in that game with very little around him. Um, and then, the, as you mentioned, this week, it was it was more of the same. They just got that Cleveland game. I, we'll talk about them later, I know. But what are you supposed to do against that a front that just cannot block? It's yeah. impossible. And he's not the only uh, only quarterback of that situation if we get to the Bengals as well. The um, uh, the final bit of news, Packers, uh, this happened overnight. We're recording this on Thursday morning. The Packers signing, uh, signing Jalen Smith. Uh, so Jalen Smith, surplus to requirements it's similar it's a different situation of course in Dallas given the strength and depth they have in that position and the direction that Dan Quinn is going and um, you can understand why he is surplus to requirements there to an extent but if we're talking about windows of opportunity win now they've spent a lot of money on Zeke on Dak 
they'll never have a better chance. Well, maybe they will, but certainly got a great chance of winning the NFC East easily. What are the Cowboys doing here, do you think? I just don't think he's a good player anymore. Um, and you can try and hang on to those guys as long as you want because you like the story or the, the you know, I know that he works like a maniac. And that's really good to have, particularly when you've got young guys coming into the locker room. They've tr- they almost completely rebuilt that defense over the course of an offseason, right? That they, they mm. changed their entire philosophy, threw it out. They grabbed Mika Parsons. But if you go through that draft, it's entire defensive stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to find guys who look like that Seattle defense that Dan Quinn ran back in the day. That, that's what they tried to rebuild. And he just does not fit in that. Mm. And I imagine they tried to keep him around as long as possible for either some kind of know crossover of terminology or this is where the canteen is or you know whatever they felt was needed culturally and then by week four you're like you know what he's just not good enough anymore um uh, and i always pay most of his salary this season uh, well that's another it's similar to the gilmore thing it's like Mm. well could you not just trade him to the jets and even give a seventh round comp pick rather than a conditional pick rather than having walk to a team you may have to play in the postseason. Right. And and as much as that, I don't think he's just a good every down player anymore. I mean, you could get him in some kind of little package or something where he, he makes just a unbelievable play in the playoffs. I mean, he has that kind of ability. Um, so do you think he's not a good player anymore? He doesn't fit the system. He was, this is the guy who was a pro bowler two years ago. Do you I think, think he's the, the pro bowler the one for me, and you don't want to sound too critical as someone, I never want to do that. But I do think a lot of that is narrative basis. Everyone wanted him to be great. You know, what happened to him was so unfortunate. He was a generational mm. defensive player who had his knee exploded in a, in a um, pointless college football game. I think everyone was rooting for him to be really good. And then he was mm. good. And it's like, so we elevated him to being maybe very good to great when he was just always pretty good. Interesting. Um, the game uh, uh, is crazy how much the defensive side has shifted in two years to try to catch up to what Shanahan and McVeigh have done. And you just cannot carry those extra bodies on the field anymore if you cannot run in coverage. And he mm. just doesn't have that kind of either lateral quickness or, or the ability to turn around the pole anymore. Um, and, and, it, and by the way, it's the same with Van Der Esch. And that, to me, is just they, they're going to they have to pick one of them, you mm. know. Uh, when you watch them and a running back flares out, they're in. It's a disaster. I mean, you just can't play like that anymore. Everyone's running five eligible in every play. So, you, I think they just had to pick one between Van der Esch and Smith. And I don't know if this one was cheaper or what the deal was. Um, mm. But they, they clearly picked to get rid of Smith. The Packers fans listening, uh, the world over, thrilled with the last two minutes of this podcast. <laughs> uh, well, I think the, there's a chance with him where you just completely redefine his game. Joe Barry has mm. been pretty iffy as the Packers DC coming in. Everyone was like, well, he's going to come in and run this Vic Fangio defense and Brandon Staley. And then he turned up. It's like, he's not running any of that stuff. What happened here? Mm. But he has completely redefined what Rashawn Gary does, for instance. He just said, well, here's the three things he does well. I'm just only going to ask him to do those things. I'm not going to ask him to be someone else. He's not because he was drafted in the first round. So maybe bring in Jalen Smith and say, do you just want to fly after the quarterback for 12 mm. snaps a game? Right. And yeah, in yeah. that role, Pinch without any of the weight of the Pro Bowl yeah, yeah. and first yeah. round pick, maybe yeah. you, can, you can ask that of him. Yeah, I like that. Uh, all right, let's get down to looking in a bit more detail uh, some of the week five slate. It doesn't really come much bigger, Ollie, than uh, the Falcons Jets. <laughs> but, uh, we, look, we were talking about this before we started recording. And look, first things first, which is... All, of course, I'm sure, delighted to have football back here on these shores. And uh, what we were alluding to before the start of the record is there have been certainly a number of examples over the years of games that on paper, no great shakes that are coming over here as part of the international series that turn out to be great games. And they might be totally inconsequential to the trajectory of the season in terms of significance and and, and playoffs and, and further, but it's still great games of football to watch. Do you think 
that this might be one of those. Neither of these teams are making the playoffs. They're both pretty terrible, but could be really fun to watch. Yeah, it's funny because every single week, two teams that stink play great games. I mean, right. that's just that everyone's got some good players. And the only thing you really need is one team has Cordero Patterson, who can do anything at any moment. The other team has Zach Wilson, who does not really know what he's going to do at any moment. And if you ha- if you if you go to a game and the only thing to consider is one of the teams has a quarterback who can throw the ball 60 yards on the move and he does not know when he's supposed to be throwing the ball, how <laughs> is that not going to be fun? You know, it well, might be terrible for the team, but right. it is at least as, a, as an entertainment product. It doesn't really get much better than that. A lot has been made uh, Zach Wilson rookie of the week uh, and, and good on him because he had a, a horrendous first three games in the NFL, even by rookie quarterback standards. I wrote about him for the times this week and was looking back at the game film from last weekend. And I don't think anyone would suggest it was a, you know, a, a flawless performance, but nevertheless, there were some things in there, which we saw, you know, elements of this in preseason with the asterisks of never pay any attention to anything you see in preseason but there were elements of, of this that we saw again the, the Corey Davis touchdown throw of course but it was the strike to Jamison Crowder when he was when he fumbled the snap was under duress rolled to the right and put it on a dime um so that I guess that composure that he showed there and he wasn't necessarily under a huge amount of pressure but nevertheless it was reassuring that there is more to come from him what have you made in in the context of most rookie quarterbacks are terrible or indifferent in their first year? What have you made so far of what you've seen? Should we be concentrating on the most recent game we've seen from him? Or should we be looking at the first three combination of the two? Where are you at with Zach Wilson going forward? Uh, it's a really tough one because Mike LaFleur, the, the OC there, I, I really find what he's done for Zach Wilson quite puzzling it's almost as though he said well i'm going to run what we run because that's my philosophy and i want to get a head coaching gig at some point irrespective Mm. of who the qb actually happens to be um there's very little crossover between what he did in college to then what he's asked to do in the nfl which again like you mentioned in preseason that packers game i was looking around going like oh i got this massively wrong (laughs) this guy is we found the next mahomes and it's you know it's it's a wrap and (laughs) have to write the apology column now um (laughs) you know he looks special and that's why he does get him on the move and the whole Mm. thing with the floor and the shadows and the mcveys as we always mention is get horizontal then boot the ball out uh, and Mm. do that kind of stuff and that does get him on the move but he likes me on the move at his own pace i mean that's just who he's always been is let me drop back five yards and then let me decide what i want to do so if i want to roll to the left and throw if i want to roll to the right and throw that's what i'll do if you kind of give him constraints and say no the the design is it rolls and the ball is out on four then the ball's out on four because everyone these these guys are all professionals they got mortgages so they're expecting the ball (laughs) out on four and they're going to be 12 yards down the field and breaking out deliver the ball Mm. and that's where he's got in all kinds of trouble right is it's that that hitch that delay and then just the bleep it throw of like well i guess i've got to get rid of it i've been told all week to get rid of it so i just think they've kind of put him in a box way 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 too early um and i thought it was it was much better last weekend as you said where it was more they moved him and he was allowed to just kind of create and do his own thing. And I think you just kind of have to say, you give us 15 things you like to run. We'll Mm. build everything out of that. We can dress up in different ways that we want. And let's just let you kind of have fun with this for the first year. There's no pressure. And then Mm. year two, year three, we'll find a a coherent identity around what, what what you're succeeding at. The big, big long-term question with him. He is brutal against the blitz. And I mean like catastrophically, historically bad. 
good quarterbacks destroy the blitz. That's the entire name of the game. If you send an extra guy to get rid of the ball really fast and it's easy for them. So you can never blitz quarterback in the NFL, essentially, unless it's a very timely, well-designed fake ordinarily um, where you look like you're bluffing and then the guy comes. It it can take a while. For, like Kyler Murray was really bad against the blitz originally and now he's the best quarterback against the blitz in the league. Mm. So it can take time to, to develop that, particularly they don't blitz that much in college anymore. Mm. He is so catastrophically bad. I do question whether that, that will ever come along because he wants to play mm. at his own pace. Right. If that, is, that is fascinating. The landing spot for him this week is pretty favorable though. The Atlanta D is ranked 32nd out of 32 against the pass. They've been giving up crazy pass the ratings to opposition quarterbacks. This is not a good defense, I think, is the hot take on Atlanta. So there is a very real chance that uh, that given the inevitable confidence that last week's performance would win, it, not least because it just put the brakes on this, wow, are we going to bench him after five weeks? Is it, that bad? is it that bad? There's a very real chance the Jets could be rolling out of here, not necessarily with a win, but with another strong offensive performance because this Atlanta D is all kinds of bad. What about the flip side, Ollie? Where are you with the Atlanta offense? What the hell is going on with Kyle Pitts in particular? Uh, and where do you see that playing out in terms of, is it Matt Ryan's last year? Is this the last hurrah? What are they trying to build here? Is that clear at all? What have you made of their offense so far this season? I just think it's so brutal. So, so brutal. I really think Arthur Smith, had, this has one and done potential written all over Ooh, it because really? they, look, they look like incompetent. They don't just look like bad and, the, you know, oh, the designs are wrong or guys aren't executing. They look incompetent. They have the center whose name I'm blanking on, I think where 61 is, mm. quite potentially the, the worst starting player in the league. They don't snap the ball at the right time, which at the professional level, I, it's, that makes no sense. Matt Ryan might go to the Hall of Fame. Everyone listening is probably like, well, he's not a Hall of Famer, but based on production and what have you, he might have a shot at some point and his guy can't snap the ball in time. Mm. that you know it's all the, the jet stuff and what they ran in Tennessee and the, you have to time it correctly so that the fake is at least a fake of a while it's just like that guy's just out the play then because he's clearly <laughs> not doing anything he's already gone beyond the center and why are we even looking at him that's mm. what they do I mean that is basic stuff because that timing I, rhythm gonna should get better as the season progresses right a, a professional center should have that timing down on day one of install there should be no question about it they've been doing that since high school mm. everyone jets now you know it's not some brand new concept um it, it's so either he's not doing it right or arthur smith has decided for some reason i want to play a man down on offense mm. even though we have bad players i, I just what about carl pitts why has he been anonymous he has been double teamed mercilessly this is the, that evolution I was talking about defensively. Everyone's playing four deep now. It's a quarters league. That, that era of the, the Ripley's match, cover three Seattle look that everyone ran and New England ran, that's over. It's four mm. deep, two safeties that they are desperate to have you run into a light box. They can rally to the ball. Um, and if you drop back to pass, they're playing with two deep safeties. And that allows you to bracket the slot. What happened was everyone panicked about the slot. Everyone moved inside. They moved Cooper Cup inside. You know, they moved Devontae Adams inside. And it was like, wow, we are getting roasted from the slot because we're one-on-one with the nickelback who used to be our third best defensive back. And mm. he's up against their best player. What about if we double that guy? Well, we need an extra guy out there. So put a guy deep and we'll bracket him over the top. So teams have now become accustomed to bracketing the, the what they call the three receiver, the inside guy. That, well, that's where Kyle Pitts lives. They have to be way more creative with him. You, they should just look at him and say, what did Calvin Johnson run in Detroit? 
okay, let's just run that stuff. So he's just an X receiver to us. He plays in the backside. We don't even really think about him. We look at it pre-snap. If he's available, we throw it. If not, we come to the other side. They don't have enough pieces yet for him to be what they would need him to be, which is, yeah, move them all over the spot and have a good time with him. But when you've only got Ridley, then that kind of compromises everything. The fact that, that Patson has been so good is almost solely because if you look at all the plays, Kyle Pitts is doubled. They dump the ball off to Patson. He makes something happen in space. So that is almost value in itself, right? He's, he's dragging a double team somewhere. But it, it, teams are just so used now to, to defending that, that inline guy or that guy who would be essentially, he's, he's their slot receiver. Now, Ollie, as you know, we love talking on this show about uh, who's going to be MVP within two weeks of the season starting and comeback player of the year and all that jazz. But seeing as we mentioned Cordero Patterson, uh, more likely to win comeback player of the year based on uh, four weeks of football. Cordero Patterson or Sam Darnold? Oh, wow. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for Cordero Patterson. I, they must be able to get something from him on the open market, right? I, I know that they... Um, they're in this weird holding pattern where they refuse to let go of the Matt Ryan era. They should have just nuked the thing down in the off season. I don't mm. know why they didn't. They let Julio go, but then, then they're like, well, draft Kyle Pitts. Well, why would, that would work yeah. so well if you kept them together. It, it makes no sense. Um, they should really shop him. I mean, what could you get for him right now? Sell high now. Yeah, I like that. They yeah, yeah, they should do. Um, so uh, I'm rooting for him for sure. Donald has been impressive though. Uh, yes, and, and uh, we'll, we'll maybe get uh, to Carolina a bit if we can, because we've got a lot to get into. Game of the weekend is obviously Buffalo, Kansas City, Sunday night football. First things first, this seen quite a lot of this talk uh, off the back of last week around Mahomes being too indulgent. And you know, particularly people are keying in on Mahomes being Mahomes, right? Doing what he's basically always done. But I think, you know, the, the underarm 10 pin bowling strikes off the back of the no look pick against the Chargers. Is, is this to you? Is there any validity in that, Ollie? Is it a little bit like when a band has a couple of massive hit albums? They've got that raw energy. We all love them. And then they get the massive, massive deal. They spend three years recording this double album <laughs> and it's, and it's no good. Is he, is he believing his own hype? Is there a, is there a danger at all that the chiefs are going to become a, a little bit too overindulgent or is that all nonsense? I think the thing that is interesting is they have not changed anything now for two years. They, they did change some last week. The numbers that came out last week in terms of personnel packages and all that is different than what they normally do. They went heavier, which is unusual for them. They're mauling people in the run game, which is also kind of new. Um, but they've really run the same stuff now forever, which is fine. They have the best two receiver tandem in the league in Kelsey and uh, and Hill, and then they have the best player to ever throw a football. So you could just line, you could probably tell them what we're running before you ran it and still <laughs> still be pretty off. good. Right. Um, but I do think that at some point it's, it's like, what. Well, can you, even if it's just as little as challenging him, then if that's the thing, if, if you're right, then we have no idea. If he's become a little self-indulgent, it's like, well, this game's really easy for me. Well, maybe if you put some new stuff in, it would at least challenge them. Even if you don't call it, it's, mm. you know, it's at least they're fresh in the mind. Um, I, I think they'll be fine. I, uh, they can just score in clusters of the way no one can. It does seem now though, for what, 12 weeks, staying back to last year, that they have to be two scores down to really come to life, which is a, very that's also part phenomenon. of the same narrative, right? They just yeah, want to yeah. gift them. Give kind of wakes them up. Rolling. Just because uh, I want to get into the D in particular, because you've written brilliantly about this and, and I want you to share that uh, with our listeners, some of it anyway. But just to, just another quick one on, on the offense, because another consistent 
hot take we're hearing at the moment is, well, you know, McCall Harbin hasn't really lived up to where we thought he'd be. And, um, you know, look, at they've taken Josh Gordon. I mean, what a gamble. Belichick does that a couple of years ago and it's genius. And what a, you know, and a Andy Reid and the Chiefs do it. And it's, oh, that's, uh, I'm worried they don't really have enough depth. And they realize that now as well. Is there any, uh, is there anything in that that, there is this huge drop off between, you know, the, the three you've mentioned and, and specifically in terms of targets in Hill and Kelsey and everybody else. Or like, given how much Edward Solaire is not exactly a prolific ground game, but he's picking up five a carry, I think, or something like that. I mean, it's not exactly nothing, right? Uh, what do you think about that? The, we've heard on this show a few people have suggested buying when you're playing you know, mediocre sides, average sides, the, the Chiefs are obviously going to get to the playoffs. They'll be fine. But when they get to, maybe it's this this game replayed in, as a championship game, when they're playing a team like the Bills, potentially the Browns, that have enough around them. Do you, do you buy into that? Not really. I mean, it, I think it, it's looking for something to be concerned about. It's like, well, who has an all-time third receiver? Dallas is the only one. They got mm. Gallup. That's a that's a guy who should be a number one somewhere, and he's the third guy there. Okay, mm. that's great. I'd still rather have Hill and Kelsey over Cooper Lee and Gallup. I mean, those mm. three are unbelievable. It's a you know it's a great problem to have, but it's like yeah, I'd still rather have the versatility of the guy who can play in the backfield and play outside both of them. You know, they can they can go anywhere you want. Mm. Um, I, I think honestly, it will force them to have to innovate. It's like now, okay, you're going to have to use Michael Burton more, who's that kind of like do everything for them, Kyle Juszczyk type guy. Mm. Um, Joe Forston, the tight end, do we become a more of a two tight end team? Well, that could be quite fun. Um, now someone's got to decide what we do. If you stick Tyreek Hill really far away from the formation, you got two tight ends. Like, what do we do? You're all looking Uh-oh. at each other like, yeah. okay, do we double him? <laughs> do we keep size inside? Mm. I think that, I think it will accidentally help them. Um, and yeah, they probably should. That those guys probably should play better. They're all one on one. Most of them are wide open. You know, they have a guy who can get the ball to them from anywhere. So yeah, Hardman should be better. But he's not. It's not like um, it's it's not like a sinkhole. These guys are fine. I don't know what what do people expect the third receiver to be. Um, that they should, if they're fine, you win Super Bowls. Mm. You know, then that the guy's fine. Last year they got torpedoed by an offensive line that was terrible. This year that offensive line somehow already is excellent. That, that's the that's the most that's the thing that changes the whole game for them. Um, that line was terrible last year, and now it's excellent already. When it should have probably taken 10, 12 weeks to be this good, and it's already fantastic. So if he has time and he has a defense who is panicking about two guys on the field, it will be easy for them. Let's talk about their D then, because and I'm taking a, a direct quote from one of your pieces. Uh, Spags, of course, the uh, long-standing Chiefs D, of course, the architect of those brilliant Giants defenses back in the day. Spagnuolo's running a Tampa to ice cream parlor. Is how you put it. There are so many different flavors. So I want you to elaborate on this with the context of this question. Everyone talks about the the creativity of Andy Reid, of course, and the, how prolific he's been throughout his career and increasingly as his career has, has progressed, how much of an innovator he is offensively. Is Spags as creative defensively as Andy Reid is offensively? I think he tries to be. It does seem like almost like nice creative competition. It's like, oh, you think that's good on that side of the ball? Watch what we do here. Um, mm. I guess it's all... The, the post-snap pitch, if you freeze it at the top of the picture, it, it all is the same. It's just who is moving to what spot and what that does to you offensively of, you know, if it and Tyron Matthew, by the way, is the guy that makes this whole thing sink. The fact that he can play anywhere in the field and you can spin him from down the line of scrimmage or from one hash all the way to the other side of the field. 
that changes everything. Um, what what they've done, and by the way, we should point out that they've been pretty. They've not been pretty. They have been terrible. So mm. it's all well and good to draw up cool whiteboard stuff, but if it's terrible, it's terrible. You know, <laughs> have they be have they regressed? Because the, this has been a top heavy side for a couple of years, right? Certainly during the you know the the successful period of uh, a particularly successful period of the, of the Chiefs with the the transition from Smith to Mahomes and and moving it forward, and obviously the the back to back Super Bowls. But that's you know we're out in Miami talking about well a weak link here is this, and you get to run on the Chiefs, and it, they've been bad defensively for for a couple of years, right? Have they got even worse? Yeah, I think well, definitely up front, uh, the Frank Clark situation is 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 puzzling. They moved Chris Jones outside; it's been a bit of a whiff so far. I don't even quite know why they felt the need to do that. Uh, mm. That's that a really strange decision. What well, what their overall plan and structure is, I believe, is to play that Tampa two style you reference there. Get to it from nine million different ways hope that by running so many different things even though it, it ends up being the same so you can teach it the same to your team but all the guys who move are different so it's easy to teach but it looks different for the quarterback that like i mentioned before takes an extra beat then to figure out who's where who's spinning the windows are different based on who's moving and that pause should allow pressure to get home and i, I don't even think they care that much about being bad which you know sounds strange i think they know if we get two turnovers a game this is a wrap I mean, there's there's no way Mahomes turns the ball over four times a game on the regular. So it's right? boom or bust, and it's, it's interesting you talk about the kind of interchangeable pieces because there's a parallel there with with Reed's offense, right? It just you mm-hmm. know, it, it, in terms of principle and philosophy, that it is often the same. Belichick talked about this, didn't he? It's this, you know, it's going to be the same play, but with all the parts interchanged, you're thinking, well, how the hell, the hell do yeah, I deal with this? Th- that's how they make it a nightmare for you. Is it's all one word call? It's all well. This is just the spot. Whoever's in this spot runs the play this way. But on any given play, that could be Kelsey, it could be Harden, it could be Hill. It makes it so now you've now you've trebled the impact of that play where they've only had to run it once. You know, they all know they all know where they're supposed to be. The protection's the same for the offensive line. The stuff that becomes a really nitty-gritty difficult stuff, the progression for the quarterback against look where you slide the protection, that's already set. But for the defense, they're thinking, well, do we have to send a guy out there with Kelsey? Are they running that one? Are they running one of the other 35 different things they run when Kelsey goes over there? Mm. It, it's a nightmare. And as you said, it, it they've they've mirrored that on the defensive side of the ball. Now it's been a disaster against the run. And when you're spinning that that way and you can't get eyes on the, the run fit so easily, that is that is really difficult. And coaches, no matter how pass heavy the sport gets, everything still has to structurally fit as the run fit of ours, you will just get mauled and, and that's a wrap too. Um, but I do think that they are cool being like, well, if we can just get three turnovers a game and if we can get two in the playoffs and against guys like they're building a defense to stop Aaron Rodgers, building a defense to stop Dak Prescott. If we can fake Dak Prescott out twice in January, then we win the Super Bowl. I think that is the entire way they've built this whole building is like every, division games do not matter to us anymore. It's mm. about winning the Super Bowl every mm. year. We need an offensive line. We need to fake out Aaron Rodgers and Dak Prescott twice in one game. How do we do that? And I think they, they've built the whole structure around that. What about Josh Allen and this Bills offense, which he's, is definitely progressed year on year. And it certainly went through a massive uplift last year with the development of Allen, specifically the addition of Diggs. But the ground game, everyone came into this season, all he's saying, oh, the weak link with the Bills of the ground game. And they can't get, you know, Singletary uh, is looking good. Obviously, Allen can handle himself on the ground as well. Fifth in the NFL in rushing yards, the Bills this year. So that's surpassed expectations. Uh, should we be buying into that? Or is that going to revert to the the preseason skepticism, do you think? No, I think what, what, what they've done, 
is really interesting in just terms of quarterback development. None of this should have happened. It almost makes no sense. Josh Allen was bad in college. And then they did what any good team does when, you know, guys like me come on your show and I say, well, you know, the Jets aren't running any of Zach Wilson's college concepts. Why didn't they do all that? The Bill said, okay, cool. Bring all that stuff you, you ran in college. Bring it with you. Bring the playbook. We'll run that year one and year two. Cool. They run that. He's terrible. That did not, none of that worked. And it's as if they sat down this offseason after getting good last year when they changed everything and Brian Dable said, your stuff is terrible. It doesn't work. Let's run my stuff now. And it worked. It clicked. Then they sat down this offseason is what it seems like and said, you pick 15 things you like to run. Let's just run that. Let's take all the fat out. Why are we running nine different personnel groupings so we can go on ESPN and say, we're really formationally diverse. And, you know, Chris Collins with us in the night football say, look at all this different stuff they're running. Why? <laughs> we have Stefan Diggs and you. That's all we really need. So let's pick the 15 things we do really well and let's just beat people over the head with it. Mm. And that's what they've done this season. And so when it clicks, you demolish the Texans. They don't have the players, they don't have the horses to keep up. We know that. But you demolish them in a way where it looks like amateur football. You just wipe the Dolphins off the field, even though you don't play that well. Because you only have to hit those three concepts that worked three times. That's fine against the Texans and against the Dolphins. What What about better teams? And this might not be the best defensive match for them this season, but as they get into... Uh, you know, into deep territory, deep water territory in the playoffs. How will that game plan, a strategy stack up against a very good defense? This is the concern. I think if you can live in that too high shell, I mean, they are running the ball on people because everyone's like, well, we have to stay too high because they are so spread out now. They are the most spread team in the league, which is not what I thought would ever happen with this guy. This is not an efficient drop back passer, right? He's boom or bust. And they're saying, yeah, let's embrace the boom or bust. Let's try and hit 320 yard plays a game. And that should be our formula to win. So if you have to stay too high, and then that makes it very difficult to defend the run, obviously. And as you said, they've been way better than people think against the run because they're playing really light boxes on every play because people are terrified of these spread formations and terrified of Allen breaking out and doing something freelancing. So you got to keep eyes on him. So you got to back up so you can find him because the guy could go left, could go right. I don't think he knows half the time. Um, And he just figures it out on the fly. So that makes it really difficult. Now, the Steelers in what is going to be, right, the most bizarre result of the season, the Steelers just whooped them in week Mm. one. And it's like, wait, what? They did that. They stayed in too high all game. They have unbelievable players up front. They they bullied them up front and they were comfortable in sitting in that shell. And so then when the defense is sitting on these 15 things you run, well, that's a real problem. So that that, that is going to have to be the thing that we figure out through the course of the season. As they play better teams, teams that can live in that too high look, how will they adapt and evolve and can they, and are they just keeping stuff? You know, that, that could certainly be the way where it's like, well, we know this can get us through this crappy division. This is not a good division. Let's just get through the regular season. Then all that stuff that we've been Mm -hmm. hiding, will bring that out in January. That's what Belichick and Brady did for years, right? They would run one offense during the regular season. It would turn to December and they would say, now we're running all this new stuff. Good luck. Right. Um, So I could see them doing that, but yeah, I think that they are banking on the fact that you don't have enough players to stay in a two beat look. And then if, if you do do that, then even still, Allen is such a special thrower on the move that he can just make something happen. They are fully embracing being a high variance team, which usually coaches are like, no, 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 no. It's about efficiency. Let's figure out, you know, let's find a way to make this more efficient. They're like, believe all of that. Let's just throw the ball downfield and have fun. And Allen will make plays happen. And now they have a good defense. Well, let's talk about that because I want to get into the uh, Chargers Cleveland game with you as well. Uh, and, and time is a ticking. So just, Give us your key matchups in terms of that excellent Bills defense that you've referenced against Kansas City. What are, what should we be looking for? Where do you think that battle is going to be won and lost in particular? I think up front, 
is always the place. Uh, Espinosa has become a very good pass rusher, which is they had no pass rush last year, right? I think Matt Milano, the linebacker, led them in sacks for like four or something, and their pressures were suppressed all across the board. That so they have to get pressure. They do some really creative things. Um, I don't necessarily have to go into them now, but they, they that those mug looks everyone loves, where they you know just stand like five six guys across the front. That's what they do best. Now that Chiefs line has had, as I mentioned before, a really good start to the year, and they're starting three guys on the right side of the line, center guard tackle, who've never played in the league until this year. One guy was a COVID opt-out to a rookie. So the Bills will put, if you want, the incorrect guy in the mug look. You know, They'll put the safety where the three-tech should be. They'll put the three-tech outside. Get in their heads and confuse it because they're yeah. so wrong. Okay. And they do that no matter who they play. So it's going to be a real challenge, I think, for those three to communicate who's supposed to be where. So I think that that would be the big thing. If the Bills start standing guys up down the line of scrimmage and you know they've got five, six guys all stood up and they start getting pressure, they will just run that relentlessly because that's what this this team has decided to do is if something works, let's just keep doing it. Go to that Dolphins game. They're in the same play on defense like 12 times in a row, essentially, because they, they run stuff that morphs post snaps. They're like, we'll just run the same stuff again and again and again. Mm. Um, and it worked. So I... That to me is the big thing. How does that right side of the offensive line that has been so good for Kansas City this season uh, unexpectedly with those guys so young, how does that hold up against all the stuff the Bills run? Brilliant. Okay, uh, on to Chargers Cleveland. And you talked about the expanse uh, of the Buffalo offense. In contrast, and you've written about this, the narrowness of the Chargers offense, the narrowest you feel in the, in the league right now. So talk us through, you've been on the show before and you were uh, talking up very much the, uh, the new direction for the charges and prescient it turns out to be because uh, they have been, of course, one of the, the standout teams this season, but I want to understand why that is the case and particularly offensively. So talk us through this charges offensive game plan in a bit more detail. Yeah, what they've done is essentially took what was the Peyton Manning, all Peyton Manning philosophy, where everyone wants to attack space, right? You hear that all the time, attack space, find grass, attack daylight. These are kind of the coachisms that everyone says. And usually, well, at least how teams did it for, for 20 years of the kind of the spread revolution was as many guys out as possible, you know, spread the defense out pre-snap and then just kind of pick it off as you go through. The Peyton Manning philosophy was always the inverse, which was why am I running like setting up in the space pre-snap. Why don't we run into the space after the snap? Why don't we get as tight as possible so there's as much space out there as possible and then we'll run into it, um, which is similar to what McVeigh and Shanahan have done. Uh, McVeigh has always had the, the most condensed, tightest, narrowest offense in the league since he's become a head coach. Now the Chargers have gone even tighter. They, they are quite, it's almost like, I think it's three meters, the last I checked on uh, Next Gen Stats, even narrower than the Rams, which almost doesn't make sense that you could actually get so narrow. It's basically playing, <laughs> right. everyone's on the offensive line, and that means there's all space out there. And they don't have track burners, right? Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, these are good players, unbelievable one-on-one receivers, but these are not 4-3 guys. So what you do is you pack everyone at the line of scrimmage, you make sure they intersect their routes, and it makes it very hard to play man coverage, and you give them as much space as possible to operate in after the snap when they're running their routes. And then Herbert can just sit there, read it, and fire. Um it's very impressive. The, the main thing that uh, Lombardi, the OC there, has done is, as I wrote in that piece, he took all three eras of the same stuff they ran with Drew Brees and stuck it into one system. Right. Um, and again, in terms of trimming the fat, took out stuff that doesn't really make as much sense anymore, but took all the best. He took it as the best of album. He's like, well, Drew Brees was really good. Let's take the best of and hand it to a guy who is six six, can see the field and can throw the ball downfield farther than Drew ever could. That, that's essentially what they've done, which 
on paper and as we've seen in actuality is, is a pretty brilliant uh, method of working. Let's talk Herbert's progression within that offense then. And uh, something else you point out in, in your piece on the charges, the last year, Herbert, you wrote, is better off script than he was on script. So better when not pressured by a, a, by a significant margin. Uh, but that's developed, hasn't it? So talk us through the numbers there and what you've picked up in terms of how Herbert plays under duress and, uh, and not. Yeah, last year it was all just, he was just going to make something happen. It was similar to when I, I talked about uh, Zach Wilson, the Jets before, was they would just allow him to drop back and figure stuff out. And the offensive line stung too, so that was a big part of it. Uh, this year's O-line has been much, much better than last year's. I'm much better, I think, than, than people, even myself as a believer, thought it would be at this stage in the season. Now he's just taking the easy play. Everything was was amazing and, you know, it was instinctive and it was like, wow, as you're watching it, like this guy is really good. But it was, it's hard to maintain that for even two, three. I mean, Russell Wilson has done it somehow. You know, he's <laughs> just done this, just let Russell do what he does, I guess, thing now for almost a decade. But it's hard to have a career sustaining that over, you know, over a long time. At some point, the play designs have to win some of the downs for you. You mm. can't just do it all yourself. Um so now he has learned which plays are the ones he's going to bounce out and create by himself and which one is the, well, I could just flip the ball ahead to Keenan Allen for seven yards and then we're moving down the field and that, that just makes life so much easier. Um, so yeah, he's just, he's just, a, he's become a different player. Um, I, I know some people don't like the fact that they feel like he's being uh, constrained. constrained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get that that is irritating to watch, but it's it made them so much more effective and it makes that, you know, that, that, Dallas game where he then needed to create stuff and he had like three throws opposite hash, 50, 60 yards down the field. He had the one in the hole where Trayvon Diggs gave up on it because he's like, well, he's not going to throw that ball. And he threw oh, it and he's diving for it. It makes that stuff the difference between being close and winning or at least being in a position to win as they were against Dallas and they blew it in the red zone three times. Whereas before it was, can you keep us in the game? So the, it, it's such a huge uh, advancement for them. And I guess there is, although they're very different players and, and performing at, at different levels. There are parallels to be drawn there with the, with the Browns and with Baker, right? That they're pretty functional, pretty straight, keeping it simple. And the progression with Baker, certainly in the last you know season and change has been <laughs> don't balls it up. <laughs> That's yeah. presumably what they told him, but, but just, you make, just be smarter with your decisions and don't overcomplicate it and just keep it simple. Uh, and, credit to Baker, he's, he's done that. And I know there's more to it than that. And he still has to do more than that if they're going to be serious contenders. But that seems to be the main uh, component of the Browns offensive progression, right? Yeah, the, I think they've moved into this thing of, okay, Baker's not Aaron Rodgers. There's, you know, seven of them around, maybe. They, that might mm-hmm. be being kind, although we are in quite a boom at the moment with these guys mm-hmm. who can move and create. So we hoped he would be. He's not. That's cool. How do we adapt? Well, let's just ask him to complete four a game. Right. Four of the, I mean, that Chiefs game, some of the throws he made in the Chiefs game, and I'm talking back, you know, back shoulder, guys draped all over everyone. He's got to fit it in the narrowest window. It's not moving and creating and really fun Mahomes stuff, but it's impossible quarterback play for, for but 12 guys. Can you hit four of them a game and we'll build an infrastructure around him that says we've got the best defensive line in the league. We just crush people with these two running backs. And if he hits four, we win the division. That That's what we believe it can be. And I think they've built that setup pretty damn well. I mean, it, he swings more than I think people realize because his numbers are always kind of uh, efficient and they're always mm. pretty solid. I think when you watch him, he does get one, a lot of scheme help and two, these guys win a lot of one-on-one 
plays where he doesn't necessarily put the ball where it's supposed to be, but he does hit just enough of those ones that would be above the expectation to have them hit splash plays. And that's that's mm-hmm. the league right now is who hits explosives, who stops explosives. He's not himself a 40 yards on a rope type guy, but he's just accurate enough to, to give them just enough down the field. One more for you. Uh, the Jason Garrett revenge bowl is where, <laughs> is where I want to oh, go. Because the Giants are back, obviously, as as we suggested that. Before- Daniel Jones is good. I like Daniel Jones. Daniel as well. Jones I'm, is good. I am Let's with save you. Save Daniel that. Jones. I am with you one hundred percent on that. Uh, and I, I wonder. What, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see as this Giants season plays out because they're obviously not going to achieve a huge amount. How that will play out? You know, the, a, a, a good quarterback on a struggling team. Offensively, they've got more to offer, of course, than, than defensively. And Saquon keeps re-emerging back to vaguely close to where he was before, and uh, Kenny Galladay steps up as they hoped he would, you know, they're going to be able to, to put on a show from time to time. Right. And that might be enough. Do you think to keep Daniel Jones? In, Cause this is a, you know, brutal bus season for him. And I just wonder whether he might get dragged down with the current because the giants are so bad this year and they might make a mistake. I'd look at it as a mistake moving on from him. What do you think they'll do? What does he need to do to show them? Okay. Give me a, give me a new contract. I'm the guy for the future. It's a tough one because we've moved as a sport almost to like you all three have to come in together. Like that, that the days of e- of even the naggy of it, where it's like, well, bring him the guru, you know. After the fact, I think teams more and more want to do the the Cardinals thing, where it's like, even mm-hmm. if you brought someone in last year, we bring in our our head coach and we just reset the whole thing, and we either get a new GM or we we get a new quarterback. So if someone comes into that that situation next year. I mean, it's most likely they have a new GM. They might keep the coach, though I'm not sure why it would. Um, they would probably want to bring their own guy in, but I just, I think he's good. Mm. I think it, it's a really, really difficult one because I just love to see him in an actual setup with actual yeah. creative minds <laughs> doing actual things because in a right. bad one, he's looked really yeah. impressive. Right. Well, this um, is the thing with Donald, right? I mean, ever you know, yeah. and there are parallels there, I guess, and not least in for the reason you've just given that the, it was a different GM to the one that drafted him. Then a new coach comes in and right, we're going to go in a different direction in a terrible team. And, and yet there was a sense that, well, are they giving up on him too soon? And he's bounced into a spot. And and, and I guess that's what will happen with Dan, Daniel Jones. If, if the Giants move on, they'll be a team that will will take him and it'll start. It won't be a you know Josh Rosen situation for sure. On the Cowboys, mm-hmm. super quick. Give me your take on them because we, we talked about their offense balling, but we figured they would. You know, their line isn't as great as Cowboys lines of yesteryear, but it's holding up all right. It's the D that has been the, the biggest surprise as we touched on at the top as well. So how good is this Dallas side? How much should we be believing what we're seeing at the moment? I, I'm, I'm all in on this to you. Um, defensively, I do have some real concerns schematically that they are very, very predictable. And when they played a guy who's, you know, super football computer and Brady in week one, it was like that he couldn't believe his luck. It's like, I cannot believe that you guys are still running this stuff from seven years ago when I built my whole identity over the past decade to shred this thing. Did we not play in those Super Bowls against the Seahawks and Atlanta together? I'm pretty sure we did. And I roasted it. Have you guys still running this? And he, he tore them apart. So I have concerns defensively for the for the duration of the season. They they just need to adapt and and evolve more. Offensively, I mean that that is I don't know how you stop this thing because at the moment they they get very big. They get very heavy. They're playing Connor McGovern the guard as a fullback, and they are just mauling people up front. 
Um, they do that thing where they put four guys on one sideline. So you get two extra guys, two tight ends, or, or you have a tight end and then you have this guy as the fullback who then will move along the line. If you're a linebacker, you're reading it. You're like, okay, it's either outside zone or you. I'm going to peek around, peek around, find my fit. And you're like, okay, I'm in the hole. Great. And then here comes a guard running at you at speed. Okay. So you fit it up perfectly. And then you get whomped in the face by a 280 pound guard. Mm. Um, and Zeke comes rolling in behind. And you have to play it that way because you can't, you can't stay. You, you can't get an extra guy down the box because they've got three number one wide receivers and they will spread it out for you. So I just, I, the way that they can go big, they can go small. They can run the ball. They can throw the ball. They can do it from spread. They can do it from tight. They can do everything really, really well. How, how do you stop that? And their mm-hmm. quarterback is playing at a top five level, both in terms of efficiency and what he's doing, kind of some of the nuances of the game that are impressive. And by the way, doing it in Aaron Rodgers' system. I'm seeing all this stuff about how Kellen Moore should be a head coach and all that. And I like Kellen Moore and he does some cool stuff. You know, they ran that option play to, to kill the game with a running back the other day. That's super fun. But they're just running the Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers offense with one of the three guys on earth who could do that. And pull it off, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I just, there's just no way to, um, to stop this thing. I mean, it was the same way last year until that got hurt and they're even right. better this year. Zeke looks better. They're bouncing the running backs better. The old line, as you mentioned, um, is much better now. I mean, it's not, it's not what it was the glory is of, of four or five years ago, but it, I mean, it's pretty damn dominant and they're, they're just bigger now up front because they're, they're happy to put two tight ends on the field. They're happy to bring a fullback on the field, which they were not doing previously. Um, I just, there's just, there is no way schematically to draw up to stop this thing so mm. then you're relying on players and you're relying on a guy to beat zeke in the hole and he looks really good for the first time in a few years he's running he, hard isn't he yeah. i mean really yeah. is and that tandem as well uh, it just in terms of which i'm not sure is always emphasized when you've got a and i'm not saying it's a runabout by committee and zeke you know seemed to get the majority of the shares last time around but the difference in style that zeke and pollard have and the dimension that gives it's not just a like for like spelling in and out or he's having a big game this week it's the difference in style uh, I'm, I, I'm with you I think the Cowboys look legit Ollie it's great to catch up with you man the read optional is where you can uh, get more of uh, this brilliant insight and I, and I heartily recommend it uh, one more plug for that so the read optional where should everybody head for that uh, readoptional.substack.com dot substack.com we'll push it out on our social channels as well and I'll put a link to it to get involved with that brilliant oh look after yourself come back and see us soon See you soon. Brilliant stuff from Ollie. He is terrific, isn't he? And he's going to be back very soon on this show. You can count on it and we'll be back as well with more week five games to look at. Me and Propo with the Edge Rush show. That should be dropping Friday night, Saturday morning to get you set for week five. So keep your eyes peeled for that. There's also a college days in the vault earlier on this week. Me and Ben looked at the wide receiver class coming into the 2022 draft. So receivers are on their way to an NFL team near you very, very soon. And if you want to go even further back into the vault, Iron Mike in his regular Monday review slot, uh, which we dropped on Tuesday, of course, this week, uh, which was entirely my fault. But there we go. It's sitting there. It's good. It's gold, frankly. Iron Mike gold. So go and dig that out as well. At the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, lots of video content from the show and plenty more besides. So go and give us a follow on there as well. Enjoy the weekend and we will see you for Edge Rush and we'll see you on Monday. Bye for now. Fellow baseball nuts, join us on the Johnny and Josh show with my baseball brothers where JC will 
endeavor to offer some insightful analysis, and my friend Eric Jansen will offer quirky baseball trivia, but we also have David Langell who will combine a high level of inappropriateness with a low level of analysis. The Johnny and Josh Show, available to download wherever you listen to your podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network.